Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. So today we are moving into uh, the third message on the treasure hunting series. Very excited. The secrets are revealed. Jesus said he will conceal the secrets uh, from those who have uh, from his enemies, but he will reveal his secrets to those who are seeking him. And uh, we're going to look at some of those secrets that are revealed today. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the great joy that we have to be your followers. Oh, God, it is uh, so good to follow a God who loves us, sent his son to die for us. Uh, your, Your plan from the third chapter of Genesis on, Lord, to uh, call a people unto yourselves who will freely choose to walk in your ways. Lord, uh, what a delight to be that people. We ask that you would guide us now as we delve into your word today. Speak to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. According to a poll of 2,000 Americans done by Arizona Christian University, 54% of Americans believe they're going to heaven, and 2% believe they're going to hell. Okay? Now, that's not uh, particularly surprising. Uh, uh, Other recent uh, surveys have shown around 70%, so maybe it's slacked off a little bit. But what is alarming, I think, surprising, is that 82% of those who believe in heaven don't believe we'll have physical bodies. Like Jesus, after he rose from the grave, even though that is clearly taught in the scriptures. And you see, that's, that's the problem. Americans have largely abandoned a God-centered worldview and replaced it with a man-centered, secular worldview that you just sort of make up as you go along. Worldview researchers even have a name for this consensus American worldview. It's moralistic, therapeutic deism, or just simply MTD. Now, that's a mouthful, but let me explain. Moralistic, therapeutic deism is composed of five main beliefs which have captured the hearts of Americans— And uh, I'm going to paraphrase, simplify these for you. And as I go through these, you can ask yourself, you have any friends or loved ones who believe this, okay? Here's belief number one. God created the world and stepped back. Now that, of course, is deism, essentially believing that God made everything, and then it's sort of hands off. In contrast to that, Of course, the Bible says that Jesus came to this earth precisely because of his great love for us. He came to seek and save those who are lost. He came to to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, that is about as personal as it gets. But MTD says, no, 
MTD says, Jesus is a nice guy, lived a good life, but that's it. Jesus has nothing to do with our daily lives every day right now. Belief number two of MTD is this. God wants you to be nice. <laughs> God wants you to be nice. Nice, of course, is a moving target. <laughs> but we generally understand it as being polite and thoughtful and fair with each other. And that's where the moralistic word and uh, moralistic therapeutic deism comes from. This feeling that we should live a good life. But the problem is that Jesus taught us that it's impossible to do this because we have sinful hearts that have corrupted us. MTD says, no, that isn't true. We can do just fine being the arbiter of what is good and what isn't. Okay? That's belief number two. Belief number three of MTD goes like this. Main goal of life is to be happy. Okay? This is what is meant by therapeutic. Finding out how to be happy is a process, but you as an individual get to call the shots on that. Now, in contrast to this, of course, Jesus defined the purpose of life as loving God and loving others. MTD says, no, the purpose of life is to love yourself. That's the purpose of life. Okay? Belief number four. You don't need God unless you have a problem. Now again, this is deism. God runs the world by winding up the clock and letting it go. If you have any problems, so, to, so God would say, let me know. But that is not the way that Jesus pictured things. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. MTD says, no, you can do just fine on your own until your health fails, money runs out. As a last resort, you could try prayer. Okay? Belief number five of MTD is this, good people go to heaven when they die. And this, again, is moralism. And guess what? You not only determine what is good for you, you also determine if you are good and if you are worthy of heaven. And of course, that is not what Jesus taught. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. MTD says, no, God's nice, we're nice, everybody's nice. So if there is an afterlife out there, well, I'll end up making it. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you see this worldview among your friends and family? Your coworkers and your neighbors? It's really everywhere, isn't it? Some researchers have called MTD whateverism. You just believe whatever and roll the dice, hope for the best. 20 years ago, sociologists from the University of North Carolina identified this worldview, MTD, as the religion of American youth. But today, nearly everyone agrees that MTD has become the consensus religion of America. You just believe whatever, and you hope for the best. The important thing is to have faith but what that faith is in, 
That doesn't really matter. Now today I'm going to show you from the Bible that what you have faith in does matter. It matters now. It'll matter 10 years from now. It'll matter 100 years from now. And friends, it will matter a million years from now. And here's why. It's because the creator of the universe, your maker, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, sent his son, who was God in the flesh, to this earth to sacrifice his life for you, to die the most brutal death known to mankind because there was no other payment that could be made that would wash away your sin. And friends, you cannot ignore that. You cannot just choose to walk away from that. You, you, you cannot just say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to believe in Muhammad instead. Or, or Buddha over here, or, 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 or Oprah, or the angel Moroni. No, can't do that because God in the flesh died for you. Everything in your life hinges on your response to that, on your response to the ultimate sacrifice that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to this earth and died for you. That's what Matthew 13 is all about. In this chapter, Jesus reveals secrets. He reveals these mysteries about the kingdom of heaven that were previously unknown. Today, in verses 18 to 23, Jesus points out that people, in fact, Every person will respond to his love and the gift of salvation that he provides in one of four different ways. That's what Jesus teaches here. And the first way people will respond is with hard hearts. You see that a lot today. Verse 18, Jesus says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and he snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed sown along the path. You ever tried to plant grass on a high traffic area? doesn't work very well, does it? You know, whether it's animals or people or machinery, the soil easily gets hard, packed down, and it's difficult for the seed to penetrate the soil to begin growing. And often birds and other critters will see this as easy pickings, snatch the seed for themselves. Now, the implication here is that the hard-hearted person doesn't understand the message because he doesn't want to understand the message. He's got a hard heart. This is what Jesus was talking about back in verse 13. Those who see 
but they don't really see. Those who hear, but they don't really hear. Why? Verse 15, Jesus says, for this people's heart has become calloused. That's the way the Pharisees were. They heard Jesus. They saw him do his healings and miracles. But all the time, they were only looking for a way to trap him. And so they could gain the upper hand. I've met a lot of people like that. And maybe you have too. You try to share Jesus with them, but they quickly put up their defenses. And their facial expressions say, not interested. Or worse, you might sense that they're hostile to Jesus. Or perhaps they listen to you only to want to debate you. And they always seem to have a clever comeback. That's why Jesus said, Matthew 7, verse 6, don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. For if you do that, they will trample them under their feet and then turn, and they will tear you to pieces. You know, some of us, we, we love to debate, don't we? You know? We enjoy the verbal jousting, trying to outwit your opponent, I was a debater at Bethel University, and it was a lot of fun. You know, we would take the, the affirmative case, then we would switch. All of a sudden, you're arguing on the negatives case, trying to poke holes in the affirmative case. And it was a lot of fun. It was fascinating. And it was especially fascinating for me to watch our top team debate because they were awesome. Mike Emerson, Scott Larson, Emerson Larson team. They would match up with other top teams at some of the larger universities, University of Minnesota. Uh, they actually debated a Harvard team. And Emerson and Larson, they were masters at taking the arguments of their opponents and then turning them against them. Very clever to see that. But you know what? Debating does not work when you're sharing Jesus just doesn't work. In fact, most often it has the opposite effect. It, it only hardens their hearts even more. And that's why Jesus said, don't throw your pearls to the pigs. <laughs> Beautiful pearls. They're very valuable. They're like diamonds. They're like precious metals. And that's why the God, that's the way the gospel is. It's good news. The creator of the universe has sacrificed his life for you. And that's a very precious truth. And you don't want to see anyone stomp and tromp all over that. And yet, on the opposite side of the spectrum, it's very easy to go to the opposite extreme and become overly timid. And that's what happened to a young person, a young pastor named Timothy in the Bible. And the Apostle Paul had a little talk with him that's uh, recorded in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, where Paul says to Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. 
Many years ago, we hosted a Passover Seder here at uh, Heartland, and it was led by someone from Jews for Jesus. And uh, as I recall, his name was Avi. He was Jewish. And we asked him how he became a follower of Jesus. And he said, he was from New York City, he said, I was walking the streets of New York City one day, and these people who were wearing Jews for Jesus shirts were handing out tracts. And he said, uh, I grabbed one, then I saw what it was, threw it down, and I stomped on it right in front of them. And he said, he said, I yelled out, who ever heard of a Jew following Jesus? But a block later, he saw another track that someone had dropped on the sidewalk, and he grabbed it and put it in his pocket. And when he got home, he dug that out, and he read it. And Avi said, that's when the seed was planted. And I thought, I thought to myself about those guys out there on the street, and they're being cursed, they're being spit upon, they're being abused, and I thought to myself, you know, there's got to be something to this. They wouldn't put up with that junk if there wasn't something to this. Now, here's what I've experienced. Some of those who are most hostile to the gospel are actually the closest to the gospel. The hardest people to reach are the apathetic. Those who say, I don't give a rip. Those who are hostile are thinking, they're processing, they're interacting. So we need to pray for sensitivity to the Spirit. We need to pray that we are gracious and kind and gentle. We're not out to win an argument. We're out to win a soul that will spend all eternity in heaven or hell. The hard hearts are reachable. I have a lot of respect for them because you know where they stand. What's often harder to reach are the second group. The second way people respond to Jesus is with shallow hearts. Verse 20, Jesus says, The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. You remember back in 1996, Billy Graham held his last crusade in Minneapolis? Minneapolis, of course, was the headquarters of his ministry since 1950. It's now moved to Charlotte. But at that crusade in 1996, 348,000 attended that. There was 95,000 the last night. Can you imagine that? Michael W. Smith was there, Amy Grant, DC Talk, they were all featured at the crusade. And you know, we went a couple of nights, I, I, I never get tired of watching the altar call at the end. 
Thousands would get up out of their seats and they would go forward to the front of the auditorium and Billy would lead them in a prayer to accept Jesus as their personal savior. Do you realize that all told, 3.2 million responded to the altar call at 417 crusades that Billy preached in 185 countries. That's amazing, isn't it? Have you ever wondered what happened to all those people who made decisions for Christ? Even Billy himself said that maybe 25% of them actually became Christians. One study showed that only 6% of those who came forward were, quote, different in their beliefs and behavior one year later. Oh, whether that's accurate or not, only God knows. But we do know this, that many will profess Christ and then fall away. Jesus said it's because they have no root. And as soon as trouble comes, as soon as persecution comes, they abandon ship. Jesus said this, Matthew 7, 21. He said, not everyone who hears, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You ever heard anybody say the church is full of hypocrites? <laughs> well, there's no surprises there, right? What is surprising, though, is that Jesus was the first one who said that. Jesus was right up front about that. There will be a large number of so-called converts to Christ who disappear once the heat is turned up. In fact, this is exactly what happened to Jesus right after he fed the 5,000. Now it says 5,000 men with women and children. There may have been 20,000 who witnessed this miracle. But a couple, of years, a couple days later, you know what? They were all gone. <laughs> they were all gone. Only a handful of the disciples were left. And Jesus said to them, aren't you guys leaving too? And Peter answered, and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For only you have the words of eternal life. Even then, think about this, Judas was among the handful that stayed around. We all know what happened to him. Sold his master out for 30 pieces of silver. This second group, the second people group, are the shallow hearts. Oh, how important it is that you put your roots down deep when you give your life to Christ. And you know what? There is strength in numbers. That's why God created the church. When one is weak, another can encourage them and strengthen them. Folks, we need each other. Pastor Denny needs I have, to have, I have to have people speaking into my life all the time. We never outgrow that need. 
Now let's move to the third way people respond to Jesus. And that is with worldly hearts. Verse 22, Jesus says, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out, making it unfruitful. This, friends, is the person who hears the word of God and believes it and gets off to a great start. Contrary to the ones with the shallow hearts, the ones with worldly hearts, they put their roots down. They're reading the Bible every day. They're spending time in prayer every day. They're going to church every Sunday. They get involved in a Bible study, a small group. They're doing great. Their pastor is proud of them. Their fellow believers are cheering them on. But over time, slowly but surely, this young seedling that had been growing like crazy begins to get choked out. Thorns grow alongside them, and they start to sputter in their walk with Jesus. Every Sunday at church becomes every other Sunday at church. Pretty soon they're only going once a month. Their Bible reading, well, the old Bible starts to collect some dust on it. Prayer life, it starts to fizzle out as well. Somebody at their Bible study irritates them. <laughs> can that happen? Well, of course it can. <laughs> but if somebody irritates them, they get upset and they say, well, that church is just full of hypocrites. I'm quitting Bible study. You ever seen that happen? Now, before we look down our condescending noses at those spiritual weaklings, let me ask you this question about your own walk with Jesus. Let me ask you this. Which is more toxic to your faith? Success or failure? See, both are mentioned here. Is the big problem wealth or worries? Which is the greater temptation? Are you more apt to fall away from fame and applause or from rejection and criticism? In other words, are you more tempted to walk away from Jesus when life is just going well and smooth and everything is falling into place or when life goes off the rails? I have to be honest. Pastor Denny, success has been more toxic to me than failure. When I've had a success, no matter how hard I try to avoid this, temptations just relax a little bit. Get spiritually sloppy. Very easy to happen. Now, you may be different. Many Christians would say that suffering is harder and worrying starts to consume you to the place where you can hardly function. I've been there too. And yet I would say, on balance, success is harder because success brings pride, doesn't it? Yeah. It brings pride. No wonder Jesus warned us to be wary of both the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Okay? 
I always think of Kirk Cousins, professing Christian. How would you handle getting a 80-some million dollar contract? I don't think I'd handle it very well. <laughs> I really don't. See, that's the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth. Some of the most miserable people in the world are some of the most richest people of the world. <laughs> Look at Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos. Marriage is a shambles. But they got a lot of they got a lot of dough, don't they? Friends, put your hope in God, not money. We must be on guard. Thank God there's a fourth way in which people respond to Jesus, and that is with good hearts. In verse 23, Jesus says, But the one who receives the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understand it, and he produces a crop. I want you to think about that. He produces a crop. He's fruitful. It, the crop yields 160 or 30 times what is sown. Now notice here that those who have good hearts are those who not only respond to the gospel message, they're not only pray a prayer to receive Christ, but they're also the ones who live it out. We all know there's a big difference between someone saying that they love you and someone who actually loves you. <laughs> and uh, in my pastoral ministries, I've counseled a lot of married people who've said to me something like this. They've said, oh, Pastor Denny, love is so blind. And you know, when we stood in front of the church and he, he vowed to love me and cherish me and, and for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and in health, till death do us part, and I really believed him. And the first two months it went great. And then it just kind of got tossed out the window. Jesus points out here that the true believer will live a fruitful life. They will be productive. They will produce a crop. Now, what does that mean? Some have speculated it means it refers to leading others to Christ. And I think that does have some merit. But let's face it, bringing people to Christ is almost always a group effort. <laughs> In fact, uh, I've prayed with a lot of people to receive Christ as their Savior. But a, lot of people, but a lot of times I feel sort of like the little kid who got handed the fishing pole with the big fish on it. <laughs> and uh, I have the joy of reeling them in, but there are others that have done all the work. It's a group effort. Others have suggested living a fruitful life refers to the, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, producing a crop of, uh, of, of fruit, the love, the joy, the peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Oh, boy. If you're full of the fruit of the Spirit, you are going to be full of the Holy Spirit. Others have suggested it refers to using your spiritual gifts, whatever they may be. 21 spiritual gifts mentioned in the scriptures. All of us have at least one. Are you using your gifts for the glory of God to bless others? And that's true too. But the bottom line is this. If you claim to follow Christ, there should be 
some fruit, there should be a production of crops that follow that. Otherwise, that profession is just a lot of hot air. I close with this. When Arizona Christian University did their poll, they polled 2,000 Americans, so only a year ago, the thing that probably stood out to me more than anything else is that 33% of Americans claim to be Christians, and they essentially gave the right answer as to how one gets to heaven. They affirmed the statement, when you die, you will go to heaven only because you have confessed your sin and accepted Jesus as your Savior. Bingo. That's the right answer. Okay? Acts 16.31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You can't argue with the fact that that statement is essentially true. You might argue that we're not only to confess our sin, but we're to turn from it. Uh, but, uh, you know, let's not split hairs. One out of three Americans affirms that faith in Christ is the only way to heaven. I also found it interesting that slightly more, about 36% of Americans, affirm a works-based salvation. They affirm the statement, I believe that a person can qualify for heaven by being or doing good, unquote. Now, of course, that flies into the face of what the Bible teaches, doesn't it? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, it's by grace that you are saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You cannot work your way to heaven. And yet notice what Jesus does in the parable of the sower. He says this, the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word he hears the fact that Jesus died for his sins and he understands it, implying that he wholeheartedly receives it. He takes it in. And then what happens? He produces a crop. 100 times, 60 times, 30 times what was sown. In other words, he not only tells God he loves him with all his heart, he also lives it. That's what a true believer looks like. Does that describe you? I hope it does.